Right, I've got my cup of coffee. Where are we? It's Is it Wednesday? No, it's Thursday, 25th of August, 2022. Temperature is 19 centigrade, which is 66 Fahrenheit. We've had a night of, oh, it's about half eight in the morning, a night of thunderstorms, lightning, crashing thunder, fantastic. It's always out over the English Channel. I'm only a mile from the sea on the south coast, as you probably know. And I was looking out of the bedroom window, standing there in the night. Fantastic lightning display over the channel. I don't know what the barometer says because I haven't got my reading with me. So uh, I might tell you the, the barometer reading a bit later on. I know that the pressure would have fallen. It's still raining now. In fact, it's pouring with rain. The lightning's gone. Grey, dull, overcast, <laughs> wet, miserable. Yeah, as I said before, typical British summer. Okay, diaries, that's what this episode is all about. Your diary entries. I've had quite a bit of response. It's only Thursday, so I will be getting more response. I'm not going to finish this recording today because I'm hoping that I'll get more people sending in their diary entries. Had some good ones so far. As I said on the midweek message on Wednesday, I've been lent, I was going to say given, lent some diaries from various people. Family, I've only got one or two and... There's nothing much. Obviously, family aren't going to give me diaries to read out (laughs) on the podcast episode with all their secrets in. So I've only got one or two from family members with uh, one or two notes, which have been highly edited, I might add. So, okay, yeah, good fun. Thanks for all the ones I've had in so far. I'm looking forward to having some more come in. Janet. Yes, Janet. You remember Janet? Janet is the one that sends me messages and emails and all sorts of things that I cannot read out on the podcast because they are rather risque, (laughs) to put it mildly. But Janet has sent me not so much a diary entry. Now, a lot of people have done this. They've looked in their diaries from the old days and they've been reminded of various things. All of that happened then. And what they've done is type out a bit of a story about what happened from that diary entry, if you see what I mean, rather than just saying, went to the shops and a car drove through the window and crashed. That's what the entry might say. So, I mean, that that I've just made up. But that sort of thing, they will then email me and say, right, what happened was I was in the shop or about to go into the shop. So it's not just the diary entry. Okay, let's start off. Oh, just before I go any further. Hello, Lee. Nice to hear from you. Lee wants uh, some more ghost stories. Yes, I am working on one at the moment, Lee. So that will be on the ghost story channel. What is it? It's YouTube, isn't it? That'll be on there. Okay, John, not his real name. In fact, I don't know what your name is, John. It's not John, I don't suppose. If it is, I'm sorry. John's diary entry was, he felt guilty. This is back in the 60s at school. Felt guilty today. Another boy got the cane and he was innocent. I was the one that broke the window in the library. There we are. And John says he's felt guilty ever since. He, In his email, he says that he didn't know what to do at the time. They were, what, 13, 14 years old. And he felt bad. This other boy got the cane. He should have owned up. He realises he should have said, look, it was me. He said, but he didn't. Then it was all too late. This other boy had been caned. And even now, he says, all these decades later, I still feel guilty. He doesn't know the boy. Because I was thinking, you know, if you you know him, you could go and apologise. But he said they lost contact when they left school. 
So, so thank you for the admission, John. I got the cane at school, but I was guilty on every occasion. I can assure you of that. <laughs> oh, by the way, yes, I've just had a news flash on my, what is it, Fitbit Versa 3 watch. <laughs> I don't know, it keeps coming up with different things. It tells me it's raining, then it says the sun's out. Yes, GCSE results today. So any youngsters listening to this, good luck. Hope you got good results, which way well, you're listening to this on Sunday. So last Thursday, hope your results were good. I'm waiting to hear from my granddaughter. She's uh, waiting for her results today. She's, what, 17? Uh, fingers crossed everything's all right there. I think she's worked quite hard. The thing is, at sort of 16, 17, do people work hard at school? I know some do. I remember a kid in our class at school. All he did was work. They used to be called bookworms, didn't they? Or a swat. He was a swat. Bookworm. Always had books with him. Always making notes when the teacher was teaching, I suppose, talking, rabbiting, whatever they did up the front. He was listening intently. He'd write everything down. Whereas us few lads at the back, you know, we were reading comics, having a chat, looking out of the window. I don't know what the, the bookworm chap went on to do. Perhaps he's in some high-flying job somewhere. I don't know. Maybe not. Now, a few of you have contacted me and said that they're really upset or were really upset because they discovered that their mum had looked at their diary when they were early teens, mid-teens. Imagine having mother looking at your diary. You know, you're writing stuff about boys or whatever you're writing private, perhaps intimate stuff, then you discover sometime later that your mum had been reading your diaries all along. They used to have diaries that locked. I remember as a kid, my sister had one. You could lock it. I mean, I, I didn't look at her diary, but I remember seeing it. And I remember thinking, well, that's not much of a lock. And I did show her once. She said, look, no one can see my diary. And I showed her, I said, look, all you've got to do is twist this a little bit here and pull that a bit. And the, and the thing opens, you know, which it did. Uh, that disappointed her. So in, in the end, she hid it. <laughs> she hid her diary. I mean, no one wanted to see what was in it anyway. I don't think my mum was bothered. But I do understand, as some people have said, they were highly disappointed, saddened and embarrassed in, in many cases. Oh no, my mother has read all my diary entries, intimate, private entries. Good grief. I think if my mum... Well, I didn't really have a diary. If I had a diary and my mum had seen it, it would have been all about radios and aerials. Must get some more wire for a longer aerial. Must get a valve for the radio. <laughs> Happy days. Mind you, as the years went by, I think if you had looked at diaries, if I'd kept them, I would have moved from radios and aerials to girls. And then, uh, what, a few years later girls and radios and aerials. So the, the hobby never went away. Well, it ended up as my work. It never went away. And neither did, <laughs> and neither did the girls, the interest in girls. Now, on a sad note, this is a bit sad. It's a shame because we're having good fun. But there are some sad entries that I've been sent. Uh, Pauline, she calls herself. Hello, Pauline. Pauline at 16 put in her diary... Discovered today that I'm pregnant. Now that's uh, that's quite a thing. She wasn't married at the time. She was still at school, she says. Discovered that she's pregnant. Uh, and the worst part of the entry, as Pauline says, mum and dad threw me out of the house. Can you believe that? That happened in the old days. That did happen. 
dreadful person. How can you treat us like that? You're awful, you're disgusting, you're despicable. Get out of our house. That did happen. It's difficult to understand. I've never kind of grasped that. If one of our you know, daughters had come home and at 16, oh, I'm pregnant, the last thing we'd do is throw her out of the house. We'd sit her down, talk about it. I mean, I don't know. I've never been there. I don't know. But we, I would imagine that we'd talk about it. What are we going to do? You know, where's the boy? Do you know him? And I don't know. So anyway, Pauline, yeah, feel really sorry for you. What she did, she moved in with her grandmother, which uh, she said was her dad's mum, moved in with her. Her grandmother basically brought her up. And her mother didn't speak to her until her child was 10 years old. Can you imagine that? 10 years old. She's okay now with her mother. Well, she's put here, sort of okay. I suppose it can never be all right. She doesn't mention her dad again. But uh, I do remember there was a, a stigma in the 50s and 60s. If a teenage girl became pregnant, it, I don't know, people looked down upon her, frowned upon her. And they tended to forget, I think, as they still do these days, it takes two. It's not just her fault. You know, there, there is someone else involved. But uh, there we are. Thanks for sharing that, Pauline. I'm glad it sort of worked out in the end. Oh, she does go on to say that her son ended up doing very well. He's in a, a very, where are we, a very good job. Doesn't say what the job is. Very good, very well paid job. And, oh, this is nice. He's my best friend as well as my son. Thanks for that, Pauline. That's lovely. I've just been listening to myself rambling and I said we'd sit our daughter down and say, do you know the boy? <laughs> That's rude. I shouldn't have said that. No, we wouldn't say to her, do you know the boy? What I meant was, you know, are you kind of going out together? Are you a couple, an item? Or I don't know what I meant. You know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, do you know the boy? Well, I don't know, Dad. It could be one of about six boys. No, no, no. What am I saying now? No, that's... um. That, as I say, that did happen a lot back in those days. I remember going round a friend's house. I was 18, he was about the same. He had a younger sister, presumably 16, something like that. I'd come in the back door, so we'd gone through the kitchen and there were nappies hanging up. Remember the old boilers they used to have in the corner of the kitchen? They had kind of rods sticking out from the, the flue pipe. There were a load of nappies, the old Terry nappies, Terrily nappies, hanging on these rods over the boiler. And we got into the lounge and I said, well, what's all the nappies? Who, who's got a baby? He said, oh, my sister. <laughs> She'd had a baby and stayed at home. She didn't get thrown out. And he didn't say much about it. I said, well, is she getting married or what? He said, no, no, no. She's just moving the, move the baby in here. <laughs> I don't know. I remember being quite, uh, not shocked, but wow. You know, she's uh, only whatever, 16, something like that got pregnant and had a baby. Wow, it was quite amazing. It, it was a thing in, in those days, as I say. Janet. Let's get round to Janet's contribution to the episode. Um, as usual, Janet's written a story. Uh, pages, no, not pages and pages. I'll keep it short, Janet, but uh, basically what happened is, this is going back a few decades. I don't know when, there's no date, but she's saying in the old days. Don't know how old you are now, Janet. Anyway, her sister's husband had uh, an appointment at some eye hospital place, had something wrong with one of his eyes. He couldn't drive, obviously, because he was having this procedure or whatever. His wife, Janet's sister, was ill. So long story short, Janet said, look, I'll drive you. It was winter time. I'll drive you. 
It was about 20 miles away, this hospital. She drove him there, started snowing, the weather was pretty bad. Everything started going wrong. Janet later calls it a conspiracy. Everything started to go wrong. The snow was falling heavier and heavier and settling. They eventually got to this hospital. His appointment had been delayed by two hours for some reason. Eventually he got in in there. By the time he came out, it was evening and the snow was really settling. It was quite deep. They decided that the only thing to do was to try and drive home. It's only 20 miles. They got to a village and decided to stop at a pub because driving was now almost impossible. The snow was just getting deeper and deeper. Reminds me, Janet, of the winter of 62-63. It just didn't stop week after week of snow. It just didn't stop falling. Incredible. And it didn't go away either. Anyway, that's another story. They went into the pub and they spoke to the landlord. They had a drink. They couldn't drive home. And they said to him, is there anywhere around here to stay? He said, I've got one room left. He only had six rooms, apparently. I've got one room left. They said, right, we'll take it, because they had no choice. What what could they do? They didn't want to sleep in the car. So they went up to this room, had a look. The landlord showed them the room. Double bed, that was the problem. Now, this was Janet's brother-in-law, okay, her sister's husband. But they had no choice. They thought, well, what we'll do, we'll put pillows down the middle of the bed to separate us. There was no armchair or anything. There was just nowhere else to sleep apart from the floor. So they went back to the bar, had a few drinks. A few drinks too many, Janet says. She goes on to say that although she'd known her brother-in-law for many years, they'd never actually had any time together to chat. They'd gone to family gatherings, family barbecues, whatever. But anything like that, Christmas, birthday things, parties, there were always other people around. They'd never actually been alone to have a chat. And they got on really well in the bar, drinking too much, having a chat, having a good laugh. I'm not going to read all of this, Janet, because as I say, you write these lovely stories, but I'll be the whole episode, the whole hour, just talking about your contribution. They eventually went upstairs, both really tired, went to bed, underwear only, got into the bed. She said she woke, doesn't know what time, it was still dark, well it would be, I mean it's dark at eight o'clock in the morning in the winter, woke up, he was behind her, she had her back to him, he had his arm around her. She said that wasn't too bad because it was a very cold night and the heating didn't seem to work in the room. So at least she was keeping warm. Now, it went a lot further than that, obviously, which I'm not going to read on. But she says after that night, they decided to say to people there were single beds in the room. So that was fine. They got home the next day. Of course, everything was okay. His eye was all right. And although things changed between them after that night, of uh, whatever you want to call it, passion. It didn't happen again, but they were still just brother-in-law, sister-in-law. Things did change. They'd have fleeting glimpses at at each other. They'd smile across the room or or whatever. And she said it was a difficult situation at first, but she also says that she didn't regret it, which is interesting. She didn't regret it, and neither did he. So there's a a diary entry for you. Thank you for that, Janet. I've I've read the rest with interest. (laughs) What a night. Um, Anyway, yes, let's move on. Got another one here from Danny, calls himself Danny. He says, do you think, well, I don't know, Danny, do you think adultery always finishes a marriage? Does the marriage some good or does it make any difference? Well, that's interesting, Danny. I don't know. I've never really thought about that. 
I have heard that sometimes people say, oh, it kind of livens up a marriage and the marriage benefited from one of them committing adultery. I can't quite see how that would happen myself. But Danny says that his wife committed adultery 10 years ago and they decided to stay together. The children had moved out. They'd grown up and moved out. She'd committed adultery with one chap that they both knew, some family friend or whatever. And initially it was, right, that's it, divorce, we're splitting up, blah, blah, blah. But then they got talking, things calmed down, they got talking and they stayed together. And he says he still thinks about that, obviously 10 years on, but he still thinks about that and he's still saddened by it. But I wonder whether anyone else has any experience of that. I have heard that it splits people up. I've heard that it somehow strengthens the marriage. I don't know how it can strengthen a marriage, do you? I mean, if I'd gone, <laughs> if I'd gone off and done something and uh, Trish found out, I think she'd, well, she'd have a fit. She'd throw me out. I'd have to go and live in a shed. <laughs> I don't know. But that's an interesting one, though, Danny. Thanks for that. They're still together. He says 10 years on, they're still together and they're enjoying life together. So I don't know, I suppose, because one person defaulted, put it that way, does that mean you have to end the whole thing, sell the house, half each of the equity? I don't know. It's a difficult one, that. I don't know why people have to commit adultery. I've never really understood that. I suppose when you're young, I don't know if you're sort of a teens, early 20s, perhaps not ready for marriage. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? One or both might stray. I knew a girl. She was a barmaid in a pub that I used to go to. She was a lovely girl. And I asked her out one evening and she said yes. I thought, oh, this is a result. I didn't pick her up from home where we arranged to meet. Oh, I think it was the Friday evening. We met in a pub. She drove there herself. We met in this other pub, not that one. And we got chatting and I thought, this is good. You know, I'm really getting on well with her. And things progressed. And... As we said goodbye, you know, we popped out for a, a walk in the park and stuff when it was dark. And as she said goodbye, she said, oh, by the way, I said, yeah, I'll see you again. She said, yes, certainly. But I, I must just tell you, I'm married. And I was, well, not again, not shocked. Shocked is a difficult word. I wasn't shocked. I was, wasn't stunned. I, I was surprised. I said, oh, right. Well, why didn't you tell me before? And she said, no, no, it's OK. We've got an open marriage. An open marriage. Now, that's weird. At the time, I was, I don't know what I was, 18. No, I wasn't 18, early 20s, I don't know. I hadn't heard of an open marriage, and I'm thinking, what's that? I didn't let on to her that I didn't know, but I asked around a few friends, and I discovered that it means you're, you're quite happily married, but if one or both of you want to wander off and do naughty things, carnal things or whatever, then that's okay by the other one. I didn't understand that. I didn't go out with her again because I didn't like that sort of situation. I thought that was rather odd. So have any of you been in that situation or are in that situation? Raise rants at protonmail.com. Be interesting to hear from you. As I say, it's only Thursday, so I will be getting some more diary entries sent to me, which will be good. Right, what's next? I think another cup of coffee is next. The rain is still lashing down out there. It's dreadful. It's brightening up a little bit, probably because the sun's rising. It's, uh, I don't think the clouds are clearing. It's just becoming stronger daylight as we head into the morning. 
with the British summer. <laughs> right, let's have a look here. Here's one from Eric. Hello, Eric. Nice to hear from you. Eric says his diary entry was in 1967 when the, what was it, the Homosexual Act or something was passed. I remember that, Eric, because being gay was illegal, wasn't it? Up until 67, when they made it uh, not a criminal offence. Uh, yeah, that, that's interesting. And Eric says on that day, he was free. He felt free at long last to be his true self. That's good, Eric. Yes, I do remember that in 67. That leads me on actually nicely to another one here. Mary. Mary Smith, she says. I'm sure that's your name, Mary. <laughs> Mary Smith and John Smith. No, Mary says she used to deliberately leave her diaries not very well hidden because she wanted her mother to read them. Now, you might think that odd. What it was, she put in her diary about she'd been with this boy, she'd seen that boy, she was going out with a boy named Fred or whatever. She does say here that she didn't fill her diary with different boys. <laughs> but she wanted her mum to read all these uh, diary entries over various months because she liked girls. And she says she still does. She's now actually married to her partner. So that's good. That's good, Mary. I like that, Mary Smith. <laughs> that's good. So she wanted her mum to think, as she's put it here, your word, Mary, not mine, wanted her mum to think that she was normal. That's a shame, isn't it? I know I don't know when this was. She hasn't said when this was. Was it 60s, 70s? I don't know. I remember in 66, before it was legal for two men, I remember a couple of the lads, were a lad and an older chap in the, not in our workshop, in another workshop nearby, same company. Uh, they were gay, they lived together. And I remember he said to me, oh, we've, uh, we've got a new double bed coming today. And I thought, a new double bed? I don't know, it just, I couldn't get it in my mind. I Bear in mind, I was 15. And I, you know, I didn't really, I'd led a sheltered life. I still have, as you know, I've led a very sheltered life. <laughs> he lied stiffly. So there we are. Thank you both for that. That's interesting, though, writing false things in your diary, knowing that your mum's going to read it. That's interesting. Eileen says, hello Eileen, she says, I can't send you any diary entries because I've never kept a diary. I keep cassette tapes. That's interesting. She's got hundreds of cassette tapes. She says literally hundreds. And she started keeping recordings in the 60s. I remember that when cassette tape recorders first came out. Uh, Philips was the first one, wasn't it? They bought out a little cassette machine. I've still got a cassette tape recorder. I haven't used it for years but I do have tapes with music on. Anyway, let's go back to Eileen. Not me, not interested in my cassette tape recorder. She said what she has done over the years is not every day, but perhaps a couple of times a week, maybe more, depending on what's happened. She will sit down on her own and chat into the microphone about things that happened. And she said it really helps her, not so much listening back to the tapes afterwards, but as she's talking, now, she lost her best friend, she says, at a young age. Her friend was in an accident and she died, sadly. And that evening, Eileen sat down with her tape recorder and just recorded, as she put it, hours worth of chatting, letting things come out, just chatting. There was no one else around, just her, the microphone and the tape recorder. And she said that she's never actually listened back to those tapes 
But at the time, as she sat there talking, it helped. It somehow, I could understand that, Eileen. It kind of got it all out, as she says. It all came out. What she felt, her sadness, her grief, everything. And she says the same thing when she uh, got divorced. Oh, that's sad. The same thing happened there. He left her, her husband left, left her with the house and everything, but that wasn't the point. He'd gone off with some younger woman and again, she just sat in front of her microphone and the tape recorder and just let it all pour out. And it really helps. I suppose it's like they say a problem shared is a problem halved, don't they? So if you tell a friend all about it, I suppose in a way the cassette tape recorder was her friend. I don't know. Is that silly? Does that sound all right? I must stop saying whatever. I, <laughs> while I was having my coffee just now, listening to myself, I often run the thing back and just have a listen to what I've said in case I have to cut out any stupid comments I might have made. <laughs> no, I don't cut anything out, actually. If I say something stupid, I leave it there. And I did realise, though, that I keep saying whatever or whatever. They did this or whatever. In fact, they used to annoy my father. He'd say, well, what are we going to do about this problem? And I'd just say, oh, I don't know, whatever. And it annoyed him. <laughs> oh, dear. And I'm still saying whatever now. Anyway, Eileen, thank you for that. That's interesting. Was it Tony Benn that kept a load of tapes? He, um, yes, he did. The, the Tony Benn tapes, I think they're known as. Anthony Wedgwood Benn. He would record everything, wouldn't he, that happened, meetings he went to and things that happened. So that's quite interesting. I suppose, in a way, these podcast episodes, when I look back to the old days, I suppose that's similar. I really enjoy talking about the, the good old days, as I call them. And uh, as I've said before, I hope you enjoy listening to the episodes as much as I enjoy recording them. I was walking on the pavement once in my teens and there was a notebook on the on the ground. I picked it up. I thought it was a diary at first, just a notebook, sort of flowers on the outside and a girl's name inside, no address or anything. And as I walked along, I just flicked through the pages, some lovely poems and various sort of private things she'd written, sort of jottings, I suppose. Do you remember at school we had a exercise book, a rough book called a jotter? A jotter? I remember jotting things in that and getting told off by the teacher. It's not for scribbling in. I thought, well, that's what it was for. <laughs> anyway, this girl's notebook, journal, whatever, it wasn't a diary. I took it home, looked through it thoroughly, trying to find a, an address or anything, a phone number, anything. But there was nothing. But what there was in those days, who remembers the Kelly's directories? I don't know whether, I mean, this is only in Britain. This is back in the 60s. When, I don't know when they stopped, 70s. Kelly's directory. And in there you could look up people's names and find their address. Or you could look up a house, you know, 33 Blog Street. And it would say who lives there. Kelly's directory. They don't do that now, I suppose, privacy and stuff. But I found a surname in there. There were a couple I found that lived in the town. I forget the name. Unusual surname, luckily. And there were a couple of addresses there. So I went round there and I got it right first time. It was 50-50, of course. And I said, is, I think, was her name Rebecca? That rings a bell. I said, is Rebecca in? And this uh, woman said, yeah, hang on. She called out, Becky. This girl came down and I said, I hope I've found the right place. Have you lost something recently? And she said, uh, I've lost a notebook. I said, right, pull it out of my pocket. I said, there it is. I found it. And she said, oh, thank you so much. 
And she said, how did you find me? And I said, Kelly's directory, found the surname and the address. And then she said, have you read it? <laughs> so I said, no, I just flicked through looking for an address and there wasn't one. And she said, you haven't read it then? I said, no, 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 not at all. I had. I, I spent, it was naughty, really. I didn't think I'd ever find her or know who she was. So I did spend some time well, reading the poems. They were lovely. Another time I found a watch on the pavement, took it to the police station. I was with my grandfather. He said, we've got to take it to the police station, which we did. And the policeman said, right, three months time, it's yours. You have to wait three months for it to be claimed. If it's not claimed, it's yours. Three months later, I went back. There's your watch, Sonny, the man said. <laughs> Dixon of Dock Green, who remembers that? I think that was the 50s, wasn't it? Or the 60s, Jack Warner. He was Dick, uh, PC Dixon, no, Sergeant Dixon, whatever he was. That was a good programme. It used to start with him saying, evening all, <laughs> evening all. That was good. Talking of the old days, I remember buying, they were dinky cars, weren't they? Matchbox, was it Matchbox dinky cars? And I think they were half a crown each, two and sixpence. What's that you're saying in new money? I don't know, two and sixpence, whatever it is in new money. They weren't that cheap, you know, this was my pocket money. And I remember making quite a collection. And in the end, I went and swapped them for something at school, which was a bit daft, because now... If you look up matchbox cars, dinky cars on any of the auction sites, they go for really good money. You know, they, they're worth having. The funny thing is, in those days, I suppose it's the same now. The other day I wanted an old-fashioned spotlight, you know, from a 1960s or 50s car. A spotlight they used to fix on the front or a rear fog light. Any old car light. This, this is to run on my generator set that I'm still in the process of putting together. The engine's all done. I'm now working on the generator side. And the prices, the rusty old lamp, rust all over, you know, the chrome's all come off with rust, that 30 pounds plus postage. Back in those days, you could get them for nothing. The old second-hand ones, you'd go up the tip and you'd find them up there. Go to the car dump and the bloke would say, five bob. <laughs> I don't think he spoke like that. Five bob or what? <laughs> and I'm losing money. <laughs> Happy days. But I wish I'd kept, this is right at the point I was coming to, I wish I had kept a lot of this stuff. Had I known then what I know now, I'd have bought up a load of old car spot lamps, dinky toys, all sorts of kids' toys, dolls. They're worth a fortune now. Dolls. Kids' dolls. I was going to say girls' dolls, but that's, um, is that sexist? Or something, it's wrong. You get, you get arrested, don't you, if you say that? They're not girls' dolls, they're children's dolls. There we are. <laughs> I won't get arrested now by the hate. What they call the hurty, no, the hate. The hurty police, isn't it? They go around to people's houses. You said this, you said that. You called him nasty character, you did. You said he was a nasty character. You're under arrest. <laughs> oh, I was only joking. Honestly, Gov. Seriously, I just think, looking back to those days, some of the stuff I see on auction sites... I remember you could get it for nothing at the prices it goes for now. I just wish I knew then what I know now. That's an old saying, isn't it? I mean, that, that. imagine being 18 years old and actually knowing what I know now. So if I could go back to when I was 18 in the 1960s, but with my sort of head on my shoulders now, not, no, not an old grey-haired head, you know what, <laughs> you know what I mean. And then he said, whatever then, but I won't.
I've just typed dinky toys into eBay. There's a lorry, secondhand, pre-owned as they call it now. £27. I think that's the start price. And there's another one I saw, 30-something, but just for a car, 30-something pounds. That's the start price. And they were half a crown, two and sixpence each, brand new in boxes. I do know people that are not personally, but I know of people who have collected these over the years and they've got them brand new, unopened in the boxes, haven't even opened them. A friend of mine had a train set, or rather his dad did. This again is from the 60s. Huge train set layout in a, a massive room in their rather posh house. And anyway, he his dad passed away and his mum had gone already and he was going to sell the train set because he thought well yeah, I don't want it he was married with his own kids I nearly said they're girls so they didn't want it but I mustn't say that must I oh dear of course girls can play with trains I'm going to get in trouble in a minute aren't I <laughs> gonna have the hurty cops round so anyway his children didn't want it because they didn't want to play with trains so he went to a not eBay this is going back eBay didn't exist he went to an auction place and the chap came round. They didn't dismantle it or anything. I don't know why. I suppose it was best as a layout. And this chap took photos of it. And then if anyone was interested before the auction, they could go to his house and view it. And I forget how much it was, but I'm going back a long time. Over £500. I can't remember the exact figure, but it was over £500. But I remember thinking, good grief. A huge amount of money. It was a lovely train set. It's now Friday and I've had some more emails. Right, first of all, let's have a look what I've got here. Natalie. Natalie says when she was 18, uh, the boy a couple of doors along was also 18 and their parents were very good friends. Now the parents, all four of them, went off on holiday together, leaving Natalie and this chap she's called Paul to kind of house sit. And they were told, behave, don't have parties, blah, blah, blah. Now, Natalie and Paul didn't really know each other. Well, they knew each other to say hello to. They'd never been out together or anything like that. So they sort of saw each other in the street. Oh, hi, you know, how's it going? They started chatting and saw each other the following day. And, well, do you want to come round for a drink? Do you want to pop in for a cup of tea? And then he said, whatever. And she said... <laughs> She said they became really friendly over the next two or three days. Their parents were away, all of them away in Spain for a fortnight. So Natalie moved in with Paul. She went round one evening, she says. This is from her diary entry, which is obviously expanded on. Went round one evening to watch a film on telly with him and had a few drinks and ended, <laughs> ended up moving in there for the fortnight. Of course, the parents got back. And Paul's parents said, well, you've eaten a lot of food. They'd left him well stocked, of course. Oh, yeah, well, I was hungry. And Natalie's parents said, you've hardly touched any of the food in the cupboard. You, what have you been doing? They told their parents that they were going out together. And the, the parents obviously guessed that they'd been staying around Paul's house, or Paul's parents' house, I should say. But the end of the story is they got married. They've now got grandchildren and they've told the parents the truth, obviously, since then. They said, well, you know, she moved in and we spent nights together and we had drinks and <laughs> great fun. But that's a lovely story, isn't it? I like that. Thanks, Natalie, for that. They actually ended up getting married. Wonderful. Now, do you remember painted jar tops? Talking of collecting things as I was earlier. 
friend of mine was round once, this is years ago again, and I had on my sort of desk, my office desk, a painted jar top, like porcelain with nice hand-done sort of painting on it. And he said, where'd you get that from? I said, oh, I don't know, I can't remember, I've had it years. Give you £20 for it. I said, what do you mean £20? That's a lot of money for, for an old porcelain thing. My wife collects them, he said. My wife collects them. It's worth more than 20, but I'm not going to sell it for a profit. It's for my wife. So I said, yeah, flogged it to him for 20. I do wish I'd collected more things back then. Anyway, too late now. Uh, what have I got here? Where am I? Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Kelly says her diary entry is in, where are we? Uh, 1960s. She was tuning around on her Dancet transistor radio when she heard, she found on the dial, one of her favourite songs playing. doesn't say which song it was. So she left the dial on that station and it turned out to be Radio London. Wonderful Radio London. One of the pirate ships. And she said she'd not heard of the pirate ships. This was all new to her. And she left it on that, uh, on that place on the dial. Wonderful Radio London. Yes, it was the early 60s, Kelly, when Radio London started. Was it 64? I can't remember. I really can't. I think Caroline came on before them. Not too sure about that. Mark. <laughs> Hello, Mark. Mark says, in my diary, my entry is 1969. The moonwalk, when man first walked on the moon. I remember that. I was in the radio and TV workshop and I remember everyone talking about the moonwalk. That was Neil Armstrong, wasn't it? Walked on the moon. So thanks for that, Mark. Another one here from Dave, 1963. Uh, Dave says, yes, John F. Kennedy was shot. That stands out in his diary. He says that was a sad day. Oh, yeah, Dave is from California. Yeah, hello, Dave. California. I bet the weather's all right there. It's raining again here. Julie says, 1968 is when Blue Peter started. Now that ran, didn't it? Blue Peter on BBC TV. That ran for decades, wasn't it? I don't think it started in 68. I thought it was 58 it started. I'll have to look into that. I'm sure it started. It wasn't 68. I think it was in the 50s that Blue Peter started and it went on and on. It was a live, one of the first or the first live TV programmes to go out regularly. And I remember they had big studio doors behind where they, they had their set, where they sat. And sometimes you could hear kids playing and they said, well, what that is, apologies for the noise, outside the studio doors, big doors where they could drive in vehicles and things that they wanted to have on their programme. It was a street where kids played football and hopscotch and all these things. And you could very often hear the kids outside the huge studio doors, which was good. Colour telly. I remember that. Yvonne. Hello, Yvonne. She says, July 1967. She remembers watching the telly, Wimbledon, tennis in colour. BBC. How about that? 90, it would have been 67 because I started work when I, oh, was I, 1966 in the radio and TV workshop. I was an apprentice and I remember the first colour tellies arriving and they set up a complete workshop just for colour tellies. They called it Colour Bay and all the new tellies went into there where they were set up, checked over before they were sold. Then they went into the showroom and they were sold. And I remember that. I remember the first one that they set up in the workshop. And I don't think I'd seen colour TV before. I think that was the first time ever. 
And that was fantastic. I can't remember what was on because this was during the day. So it would have been BBC Two because they had the kind of interlude, not interlude programmes, but they had these weird programmes on in the afternoons. I remember an old film. Was it a French film? No dialogue in it, just all things happening. And there was an old cart going along that was squeaking. And this chap was asleep in his chair by his petrol station, his gas station, as you say, in America. And he ran after the cart with an oil can and oiled the wheels, the horse and cart. And it stopped squeaking. And he went back to his chair and went to sleep. I remember that. Yeah, they had some strange films on in the afternoon. In colour, of course, on uh, BBC Two. So, yes, I remember that well. BBC Two, according to Kenneth, hello, Kenneth, started in 1964. That's about right. Because I was in the workshop in 66 and we were fitting UH, what they call UHF tuners to uh, old tellies because some of them you could modify them they were ready 405 lines and 625 lines UHF VHF UHF won't go into all that Victoria hello Victoria she says I remember ITV starting 1955 I was four Victoria in 55 I was four years old but I do remember just before we moved I was five when we moved I do remember a TV man fitting a, a box on our telly outside the cabinet, this big box with a big knob on it. And that was ITV kind of conversion or adaption or something. And I remember, <laughs> I was only young, obviously. and But I do remember this chap fitting the box and showing my mum, my dad must have been at work, how to use it. You know, you clonk this old thing, clonk, 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 and you can get ITV as well as BBC. I remember that. So it was, yes, I think you must be right. That was about, that's 1955. It's a long time ago, isn't it? Just going back to transistor radios and Radio London. Had my first transistor radio when I was 12. It was new. Birthday or Christmas, I can't remember. So that would have been 63. Yes, 62, 63 was that winter with all this heavy snow that lasted for weeks. That's when I had my transistor radio. So yes, I was 12. And I remember tuning around and finding all sorts of stuff. There was stuff, that's a good word, isn't it? Stuff to listen to. There's not much now, on, well, not on the old medium and long wave, AM, call it in America, don't you? I don't think you've got long wave there, have you? Or is it Australia? Who was I talking to recently, emailing from Australia? Can't remember. I don't think you've got long wave there. I can't remember now. But back then there was this uh, mark on the dial. It said AFN. And I remember saying to my dad, what's that? What's AFN? He said, oh, that's American Forces Network. You don't want to listen to that. And I said, well, why not? I couldn't get it anyway. And he said, oh, it can be... <laughs> I remember his words. He said, it can be quite rude at times. Rude? 12 years old? Something's rude. I wanted to know about it. I wanted to listen to it. But I never heard anything there on the AFN spot on the dial. Didn't ever hear anything there. So I don't know what... The <laughs> I don't know what they were being rude about. But, of course, the main station everyone listened to, even before the pirate ships, was Radio Luxembourg on 208 metres. Fab 208. Couldn't get it in the day, but in the evenings and at night, Radio Luxembourg. Everyone, absolutely everyone listened to Luxembourg. Hello, incoming message. Let's have a look and see what's going on. Right, two emails. Just looking over the downs again. It's absolutely black. I hope it's not going to rain today. Had enough of that yesterday. Right, message. <laughs> Another message. One from Ruby. Hello, Ruby. I'll read yours out in a minute. 
Another one from Janet. Hello, Janet. She says, just had an idea. How about a podcast? People can all write in. My first time. Okay, Janet. My first time at what? You don't say my first drink in a pub? My first trip abroad? My first holiday? I wonder what you mean, Janet. Perhaps you could enlighten me as if I don't know. Okay, let's move on to Ruby. Ruby says she's been rummaging in the attic because she knew somewhere she had a shoebox with her old diaries in. And I've inspired her to go up there and find these. Anyway, she's found the shoebox, brought it downstairs and spent hours, she says, reading through all her old diaries. Loads of things in there that she'd love to tell me about. She says one thing that really does stand out. In 1968, she's got an entry passed my driving test. How about that? Congratulations, Ruby. You passed your driving test in 1968. And then she found after that, uh, oh, she just put a few months later, my first car. First car, Vauxhall Viva. I remember the Vauxhall Vivas. A friend of mine had one. Malcolm, his name, he's passed on now. Yeah, Vauxhall Viva. Lovely car to drive. I had a drive of his the little gear stick. It was really nice, like driving a toy car. It was that easy. It was really nice car because I had uh, a Morris Oxford with heavy steering and a big old solid gear stick. And when I got into this Vauxhall Viva, it really was just like driving a toy car. It was a dream. So thanks for that, Ruby. That's terrific. Oh, hang on. There's another bit of the email here. Oh, here we are. Don't say how old you were then, Ruby, but you've now got 1974, my daughter was born. There must be, I won't say that, I was going to say there must be a marriage somewhere between your first car and the daughter being born. Perhaps there wasn't. I'm going to get into trouble again. Sorry, Ruby, I'm just uh, assuming things, which I shouldn't. Anyway, great stuff. Your first car, your first, your driving test that you passed and your first daughter. Terrific. Actually, Janet's given me an idea, not my first what Janet's thinking of. <laughs> But my first job, my first car, my first marriage. How about that? How many people have had more than one marriage? You know, that should be interesting. But my first, I don't know, my first whatever, my first house, my first holiday abroad. Yeah, we'll have to do that. If you've got anything to say, it doesn't matter what it is. My first whatever. Email me, raiserants at protonmail.com. We might have an episode just called My First Time. No, I would not call it My First Time. My first anything and everything, something like that. Remember my first time abroad, went to Spain on one of these package tour holidays in the, that must have been the early 70s. Yes, I remember that vividly. <laughs> I, mean, I liked the plane. I liked the plane. That was brilliant. Take it off, Gatwick Airport. Fantastic. I think we were there, was it a week or two? I can't remember. Went with my sister and her, was he a boyfriend or husband at that time? Don't know. And another chap, he was called Ray. So there were two races, my sister and her boyfriend. And it was good. It was good fun. So yes, perhaps we'll have a, a My First Time episode. So email me. It doesn't matter what it is you did for the first time. As I say, first car, first house, first marriage, first baby, anything you like, email me. Even my first divorce. I remember in a pub I used to go to, this is again decades ago. Yeah, anything from the past. Anything from the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s or a bit more, if you like, 90s. Even the 90s now are a long time ago. But anything from the past. Back in the, now this must have been the 80s, I think, or 70s. In the pub I used to go to, there was a little section of the bar 
that had a notice above it and it said, what was it, divorced, separated and single or something, or divorced, separated, whatever. And that's, <laughs> that's where the lads used to gather that were either separated or divorced. And there was a good gathering of them there. There wasn't just one or two. They had their own section of the bar, divorced people. And I remember them bringing in their, what was it, decree nisi and decree absolute, wasn't it? You get the nisi, which says your divorce is happening. And then I think six weeks later, you get a piece of paper, which was the decree absolute. So you're divorced. And every now and then someone else would join the group. They bring in their document. To, you had to prove it. You see, have your document there. Look. Decree and I sigh six weeks later. Look, decree absolute. Then they'd be shouting and cheering and they'd have a kind of party. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's awful, really, when you think back, isn't it? I wonder whether the, the wives, the ex-wives, were having their party together in another pub. Now, there's a thought. Well, it's now Saturday and the weather is absolutely lovely. Mind you, there's some big clouds coming up over the downs there to the north of me. But it's really hot out there. Saturday, where are we? Saturday today. Friday started out rainy and ended up really nice, pretty hot. So not sure about uh, tomorrow, Sunday. We're off to a barbecue this afternoon, so that should be good. Um, I might wear my shorts and frighten everyone. <laughs> Maybe not. So yeah, really nice weather. Looking forward to the barbie. I shall have a chat to you on Wednesday. So in the meantime, take care and have a think about some diary entries. If you come across any diaries, I might include a few more in another episode. You never know. Take care. Bye bye for now.